Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Michael Wilder. And we're in the middle of Ashley Grinstead's story. This is part three with Ashley. Um, Born again, before she went into Mormonism, her spirit certainly began to convict her that some things were not right. And that at the end of the last episode, she told us that she actually heard God speak to her for the first time. And she was in the LDS temple, which is really interesting to me because, Mike, you had a similar experience, right? Where you were asking the Lord something that was on your heart and he spoke to you while you were in the temple. I would say uh, if you're LDS and you're in a celestial room on the, in an LDS temple and you're sincere and you pray to God for some answers, you're, you're going to get it, okay? And even if you're not praying, sometimes he will say, oh, by the way, <laughs> uh, this, this is probably not the right place to be. Um, at least that's why he spoke with me. Um, and, you know, with all people, he, he handles different ways. Uh, but it, it was very clear to me uh, what direction I should go um, when he spoke to me in the temple, or at least opened up my mind to some other thoughts, like this is not exactly what I expected. So, Of course, God, the God of the universe is, speaks to you anywhere. Um, but for LDS, they believe that his spirit is found in the temple and that they're closer to God in the celestial room of a Mormon temple than anywhere else on earth. Welcome back, Ashley. So let's start with that story and then tell us what happened after that. Well, like I said, um, I was sitting in that celestial room and, you know, the spirit just uh, had really just twisted my heart. And like I said, the words, the words just came, it came to me just as clear as day that, you know, why is what I did on the cross for you not enough? Why are you trying to earn this grace? It's what I died for. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, like I said, we went through the the rest of the, the marriage sealing ceremony. And we went back and stayed in the hotel that night. And, of course, we came back home the next day. And, you know, I'm just wrestling with all of these emotions, you know, that I'm having. And it's like we got home, but I didn't tell anyone how I was feeling. I didn't even reach out to like my side of the family that was Christian, you know, to tell them how I was feeling. Um, So I just kind of kept it inside and just kind of followed on going through the motions. Um, I mean, we went to the temple of April of 2019 and it was kind of like COVID happened. That was kind of like a reprieve for me because I kind of was able to step back and, you know, not be associated so closely, you know, with us not being able to attend church for a while. Um, And it wasn't until um, October of 2020 that I finally um, just reached my breaking point. So you had you shared with your husband at all? No, I had not told anyone because I, I, you know, that was probably the last person I would have wanted to tell, you know, because I'm thinking, is this going to destroy my marriage? Is it going to destroy my family? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, those were feelings that I wrestled with for a year and a half almost. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So you, you went to the temple, um, and, 
you were, you know, you did your endowment, you were sealed, uh, which meant you were married to your husband and sealed to your children uh, for all time and eternity for this life and the life hereafter forever and ever. Okay. So after that point, you know, you had that experience in the celestial room, which you didn't tell anybody. And did your husband like, you know, three months later or six months later says, honey, we need to go back to the temple. Did you, did he ever state anything like that to you? No, not really. Um, like I said, I mean, we we lived like three hours away from the closest one. I think I think that the Washington D.C. T- temple was still under construction even at that time, so that would have made traveling even further. So it was more of an inconvenience thing. You know, I, I would have more um, thought that he would have asked something like that if we had been in closer proximity to a temple. Did you see him as being all in LDS at this point? Oh, yes. Yes, very much. But I mean, he had grown up with it his entire life. It was kind of like a second nature to him. So, yeah, I mean, he was all in and I'm trying to appear all in. (laughs) Right. So so what what was his calling at this point in the LDS church? So you're going through this, you you get to the temple, you're home for a few months, uh, maybe a year. uh, And you were working as a primary secretary, if Mm -hmm. I remember. And again, for the Christians, primary means working with children. You're working with a children's group, okay? Mm-hmm. A children's leader. Uh, uh, Ages at three point. to eleven. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and so your husband did he have a particular calling in the LDS Church? Um, I can't really remember at the time what he was doing. He had had um, a mark on his record that prevented him from having um, certain callings within the church. Um, if we go back to when he had that council, you know, that council meeting, um, they had marked his record um, as making him unable to hold certain callings. I know mm-hmm. that he helped out a lot with the um, with the scout program kind of thing. But but to say that I really remember that he, what a specific calling was that he has, I don't remember. Yeah. Now let's, let's stop there for a second. Um, And again, the fact is that, you know, when you come into Jesus, you know, you are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. And you, you, you don't have a, a Jesus doesn't, when you get to the pearly gates, the Jesus and says, well, you know, you've done a great job except for this mark, (laughs) uh, except for this, or except for this, you know, you're welcome. Okay. As is because you are in his grace and you're covered. Your sins are cleansed by his purity. Okay. But in the LDS church, a lot of people don't realize this, that, your records, if you do something bad, and we all do things bad, but, you know, for example, maybe drinking or whatever the case might be, they mark your records and it's it stays there. for it, They can stay there as far as I know forever uh, on their records. So you're not ever truly forgiven of your sins mm-hmm. because if it's marked on your records, it's there. I had another person that had the same thing happen to him. And he had to threaten to take him to court before because he didn't do that. And they marked it that he did. And he had threatened to go to court to get that removed. And so I, I find that interesting. And when I was in a leadership position, I didn't realize until later on that those those records are that way until somebody decides from the top to have it cleansed. 
Well, it, it's very funny looking back now because that that actually happening was a super huge blessing, like in the hand of all of this, because it was like a constant guilt that was placed on him, like feeling like he was never gonna be able to find redemption from that. So I think just the constant guilt that weighed on him from that point forward just kind of broke down, you know, a lot of a lot of what he was, you know, striving for. Yeah. Oh, I love that point of view. Yeah. So what was your breaking point then? And how did you come forward about what was happening in in your heart? Well, we had kind of had a situation happen um, during COVID. I remember um, the church was interested in opening the services back up. And so the bishop called my family on 4th of July weekend. Um, the service was going to be in two days, you know, on July 5th. And they wanted us to go to the church and, you know, rope off the pews and, you know, the bathrooms and try to, you know, distance everything so it would be safe for people to attend. And, um you know, we went in, there was no air conditioning, and we worked for hours to get it done. And then after service that Sunday, there was a church member that had posted on Facebook that, you know, she was so glad that she was able to, you know, be back in church that day, but it was just such a distraction from her being able to feel the spirit the way that the pews were roped off. And I I got like this anger inside of me, you know, and I'm and I'm thinking if that's something that hindered you being able to feel the spirit here, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you can tolerate things from people and organizations if you 100 percent believe that it's the true church. But, mm -hmm. you know, I was at the point where I know this isn't the truth, you know, so for for me, that was kind of one of the things that got the ball rolling for me where I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, it was one day that I looked at both of my daughters and I had this conviction that came over me. And it was just like, you know the truth and you are responsible for these two little girls that I have given you. Mm -hmm. what, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? Are you going to indoctrinate them in what you know is not the truth? Or are you going to bring them to know the grace of God? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when I realized it was such a heavy responsibility, you know, was being placed on me at that point, I, I didn't have a, a choice. I, I was willing to lose my marriage at that point. I was willing to face whatever the repercussions were yeah. at that point. And you, know, you told me that your in-laws, your LDS in-laws actually lived within a mile of you. They right? do. Yes, so they you not right only had the, the pressure of your husband mm -hmm. being LDS, but you had in-laws that were in your kids' lives all the time. Yes. And then you always have the entire ward that yeah. you go to, those people watch over you, know mm -hmm. everything about your life. Mm -hmm. Visiting teachers come every week, I mean, every <laughs> month. And oh my goodness, ministering teachers or whatever they mm -hmm. call them these days, watch out for you. And there's this almost kind of underlying gossip in the culture where everybody puts you in a certain box, right? Mm -hmm. And that that can be really uncomfortable, and especially if you're 
questioning the faith and don't have a lot of outside people, relationships. Did you have outside relationships at the time? I mean, I had my family and I mean, we're not really in a predominant Mormon, you know, part of part of the country. So, um, I mean, it was kind of easy to, you know, I could have had more outside sources had I had I sought them. But um, like I said, at the time, I wasn't really comfortable telling anybody, you know, what I was dealing with. Okay, so another strong conviction from the spirit. What did you do with that? So I confronted my husband one evening after the girls had gone to bed. And I mean, I didn't really give too much of a testimony behind it. I just pretty much said, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And I thought for sure there was going to be, you know, a big blow up, a big confrontation. And he just looked at me and he said, I don't want to do this anymore either. Wow. So, so it was like a huge weight was just lifted off of my shoulders. And so um, in October of 2020, I wrote to the bishop and just requested for all of my records to be removed from the church. And I don't think that I told my husband prior to me doing that. Um, It was kind of one of the things I didn't realize quite the severity at the time, you you know, of of what it really meant to Mormons, you know, when you had your records removed. Um, If I had, I probably would have told him first, but um, I remember telling him, you know, yeah, you know, I had my records removed and he's like, you did what? And, uh, (laughs) and so, uh, and so we just kind of, I guess we kind of figured out a new normal for our family. I mean, we quit going um, to the Mormon church, obviously. Obviously, I quit going and he quit going and we just kind of didn't do anything for a while. And then um, it was in March of 2021 that I came across your book on a Google search. And so I reached out to you and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this lady probably has millions of people that contact her all the time. She's not going to respond to me, but... Sure enough, you responded within a within a like an hour or so, and you're like, "Yeah, I'll send you a copy of my book." And so, and so I read it, and it gave me so much hope that you know maybe I could reach my husband, because, like looking back, I never thought he would leave it. Like I I would have never thought in a million years that he would ever turn his back on it. And so I convinced him to read your book as well. And he was at plumbing school at the time and he's not much of a reader. So he did the audio version and he listened to it. And it was a couple of weeks after that. He was like, you know, will you help me type up my resignation letter to send it wow. in? And he was ready to, to send his off as well. Damn. You know, it's, well, that, it's interesting. And- yeah. Uh, it's interesting when, when you leave the LDS Church, um, you know a lot of times you you know if you're you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian, you know you you go from one church to another and you can just send your records and it's, it's no mm-hmm. big deal. But if you leave the LDS Church, it is a big deal of having your names removed. Okay, so were your children members of record at that point? Did they ever um, have anything? Were they ever blessed in the LDS Church? Or did they ever have their records recorded as members of the LDS Church that you know of? I'm trying to remember because our oldest was a little bit older. So I don't think that she was ever blessed within the church. She may have been, but I don't remember. But I know for sure that my second daughter was. Okay. Okay. So she she was a child, what they call child of record. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's officially a member 
uh, of the LDS Church uh, at that point when you receive a blessing. And so you wrote this letter in October of 2020. Is that correct? For myself, yes. Okay, for yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. And did you ever hear anything back? Uh, yes, I got a message back from the bishop that, you know, said that he complete because I made it very clear in my resignation letter, like, I do not believe this. I'm not going to believe it. Like, I'm, you know, and he just said, you know, well, my first temple experience was, you know, kind of weird. And I wish we had had the opportunity to talk about it, you know, before you made this decision. And, you know, of course, I'm thinking there's nothing you could have said in any way, shape or form that would have, that would have changed my decision. But I mean, that was pretty much the only response that I got was, you know, I wish we had talked about it and I'll take care of, of removing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Care so, so he, he put it through the process and you probably got a letter later I on. I did a confirmation letter. Yes. Okay. A confirmation letter. Okay. Now uh, for, for a man, it's a little bit harder because if he's a member of the uh, uh, Melchizedek priesthood, the bishop cannot remove his name. It's got to be done back to the state president, as we mentioned earlier. So uh, go ahead with your story. I just want to bring a couple things up to date. Yeah, so so your that's pretty much removed. how it went. Um, I helped him get his letter ready and sent it to the bishop. And then he responded back that he would forward it on to the state president. And then a couple months later, we received his letter um, also from Salt Lake. Okay. And did they stop contacting you and visiting you? Yes, then? we we kind of said, put us on a no contact list if that's a thing. I mean, we haven't heard anything since, so I I assume it was <laughs> it was successful. So let's okay. talk about relationships. How about in laws at this point? Were they horrified? Did they try to bring you back? Um, no, not really. Um, it's kind of been just a spot of contention ever since. Um, I mean, they love my daughter so, so much that, I mean, there's nothing that would keep them from wanting to be involved, but things are different now. Um, they just don't, it just doesn't feel the same. It's, it's very different. And it's, it's hard for me to, to describe how, how it's different, but it just is. So, one half is always leaving the LDS church, being convicted, knowing it's not true. The other half is what's next, right? Mm -hmm. As far as spiritual life. What did that go after Mormonism? Well, it, it's funny. Um, so, so in March, um, like I said, he had sent in his letter and we decided, you know, we want to get into church, you know, somewhere. And so it just so happened there is a church right in my neighborhood, you know. And so we we went there and we went for several weeks and we fell in love with it and, you know, really liked it there. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter at the time was seven. She got saved um, while she was there. So all three of us, me, my husband and my daughter all got baptized um, on the same day. Whoa. Yeah. How soon after yeah. you he resigned? Um, I want to say maybe it was May, maybe. So so not super long after um, we decided to make that our church home. And um, yeah, and we got baptized there. Okay. How did, did this change your relationship? And was he struggling with certain things? Because being raised Mormon, Christian faith is very different. 
I still struggle, like even at this point, to know exactly where he is in his journey. And when I question oh, him I about want to talk it, to him. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when 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 I ask him questions, like he's not like super descriptive, you know. But the last time that I'd asked him, which really wasn't that long ago, I'm like, "Do you still believe, you know, any of it to be true?" And he's just it, his response was, "You know, it's really easy to see it crumbling piece by piece at a time." And so, um, but, but I know that like this whole experience that God has been in it because I feel that, that without everything that has happened, like he never would have left, you know, this, this life of, of always feeling guilty and unworthy and, you know, getting to the point where he was actually ready to leave the, to leave the Mormon church. So, um, did he kick his alcoholism? Were there? Oh, so it was kind. Of, it was kind of interesting because he had started a new job. He had worked in a factory for ten years. Had gotten um, carpal tunnel in his hands, and so he had been dealing with that. And so he got a new job um, doing plumbing. So, like I said, when he read your book, he was in plumbing school, and he um, graduated from that. And um, it was funny because alcohol was still kind of a part of our part of his life more so than mine. Um, I think that the, the, the Mormonism faith, cause I've heard it several times from other Mormons that call what we believe in cheap grace is what they refer to it as is cheap grace. And, um, you know, like, oh, you just say that you believe and then you can go do whatever you want. You know, God forgives you anyway. You know, there's no, you know, <laughs> Um, there's no reason for righteous living, you know. So um, to he would use the excuse of the pain in his hands um, to, to deal, you know, with, with, to have the drinking. And then he had a coworker that had introduced him to marijuana and he was finding relief, you know, with, with the marijuana with his hands. And so December rolled around and he had, um, he had surgery scheduled for his carpal tunnel. And so, you know, we got through that. Um, but after the surgery and after his hands were fixed, the marijuana use just continued and it got so frequent. I mean, where he was smoking at eight o'clock in the morning and, you know, every time we went out somewhere, he had to have a alcoholic drink and there was always beer here in the refrigerator. And I mean, I have my girls in Christian school. I'm trying to lead a Christian life. You know, I don't want these things around my kids. And so I remember we had went out New Year's Eve of, um, I guess it would have been 2021 that we went out. And my kids were over at my in-law's house. And um, after we went to dinner and came home, I decided it was a good time since we were there by ourselves just to tell them, you know, I want this to stop. Like, I want this out of our lives. This isn't right. You know, you may have left the Mormon faith. I said, but their morals are still, you know, our, our Christian standards, you know, I mean, we're to abstain from these things. We should be living a life that we don't need to feel that we have to escape from, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we had um, a crazy blow up that night. Um, he ended up moving out and getting his own apartment. And I remember like, you know, I was expecting this type of reaction at the time that I told him that I wanted to leave the church. But it's like, here we are you know, a year later, and that's when, like, my whole family just crumbled. Mm -hmm. So, 
some of this can tie back to Mormonism, right? Because someone who leaves is struggling with a thousand different things that I believe that I don't know if they're true and I don't know how to replace them and I don't know how to have a relationship in a a new Christian way. (laughs) But also, I mean, this could have been too uh, something genetic or whatever in, in your husband's past. But but these kind of relational struggles, would you say, are not terribly unusual after Mormonism, that people are dealing with things, and it's really hard to find a counselor or to find a biblical counselor or even to find a pastor that has any idea of where the Mormon brain goes, what you're thinking, what kind of things are bothering you, and Surely if he felt unworthy because of whatever mark of sin was on his record, um, those are things that humans have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, It says in Revelation that Jesus is the God of your is and your was and your is to come. And I heard a, a teacher say one time that you need to take the Jesus of your is into your was so he can help you understand your was, heal your was, so that your is to come will be free. Um, And so I suspect you have more to say about reconciliation and healing. Oh, yes, it doesn't end there. Praise God. (laughs) God eventually brought. Yeah, so I remember um, going to my um, pastor shortly after, you know, all of this, it kind of went down. And I remember sitting in his office and he said, I'm just going to tell you straight out the gate that our goal is always reconciliation. And so I looked at him and I said, you know, you've lost your mind. Like, that's not possible. You know, at this point, it, it, it can't be done. And again, he just repeated, our goal is always reconciliation. And so, you know, I kind of had, you know, the devil on one shoulder and an angel on another, you know, or I had some people telling me, you know, he's put you through this and he's put you through this and it's time to move on. And and then I had on this side, you know, you need to make it work. You know, you need to figure this out. And I'll never forget that this was this was like the second time that I just had just an amazing experience. It was it was one day it had been a particularly hard day and um, my girls were in. We are at the end of the podcast, (laughs) and so that is a perfect teaser for next time. Ashley is going to start by telling us um, what happened one day. Stay tuned. Grace and peace to you. Until next time. May God bless.